When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Lee Dort and I'm down to dunk. This is Lee Dort and I'm down to Dort. I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. Hey, this is Kenny Hustle and I'm down to dunk. I'm Darius Baisley and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala and I'm down to dunk. This is Poku and I'm down to dunk. I love cereal. Captain Crunch. Salmon Toast Crunch. Cracklin' Oat Brand. Oh, I can have these. I'm going to share with my team, but I'm a hog most. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Surprise Tuesday night pod. We're still having wow. a podcast tomorrow with Raphael Barlow, but we got the chance to get our man Sam Bassini on the podcast. So Al and I are here with Sam. Sam, what is up? Oh, I'm sorry. Was this not just a group prayer to that Poku intro? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I got confused. I, I didn't know we were live. Sorry. I thought this was just like a, you know, an exciting moment in our friendship. Yeah, we're gonna have Sam on and go through all the top prospects and talk about their fit with Poku. Forget yeah. SJ, forget Giddy. We just want to know how they fit with Poku. How does everybody fit with Poku? Um, so the draft is a week and change away. And the Thunder had the second pick. And it just, it feels like Chet is going to be the guy. Uh, I think there, it's been reported. You just watch Chet play basketball and you think this is everything the Thunder have been preparing for for the past few years. Let's say that does happen. What does the fit of Chet and Shea and Giddy and Poku look like? Yeah. So. Look, as much as I love Poku, let's remove him from this equation momentarily, just because I don't necessarily consider him uh, as much of a core piece as the others. Okay, all right, fine. Uh, (laughs) Look, I think that what Chet does above all is he unlocks a big part of what Oklahoma City has wanted to do over the last few years. Like you guys certainly running this podcast and being Oklahoma city thunder fans have watched much more Oklahoma city basketball than I have over the last couple of years. But I am always struck by how important it is for them to run a five out offensive scheme. This is how guys like Isaiah Roby end up playing the five position, right? I think there are minimal numbers of teams in the NBA where Isaiah Roby would get any minutes at the five, let alone, substantial or lion's share of his minutes at the five. Um, You know, we were just recording previously and you mentioned how much uh, Mark Daniel loves letting Darius Baisley grab and go and Mm -hmm. having five guys that can run out and go uh, on the break. I think that having Chet just unlocks so many of the aspects of basketball that Oklahoma city has wanted 
to bring to the table now within this rebuild for a while. Uh, his ability to grab and go on the break, his ability to pass, his ability to dribble uh, in the open court. I think there are like, I think the questions about his half court creation are valid, but uh, it, it just helps in such a substantial way for them to play five out, to keep the lane open for Giddy and Shea drives to uh, be able to, uh, play the exact st- style of basketball they want to play. And oh, by the way, uh, I think he is one of the best defensive prospects I've ever evaluated. S- certainly in regard to his anticipation, I think he is the best of prospect I've ever evaluated. There are obviously frame concerns there in terms of anchoring at the five position and everything, but uh, he is such a smart, intuitive player that I just have such a strong belief that he's going to make it work and that the Thunder could really desperately use someone uh, that makes their overall project that they've been going down the road of make sense. So we've been uh, talking about Chet for a while now, and it's almost like we assume it's going to happen. However, Jack Miller, uh, a guy who works for Establish the Run, he just tweeted that this time last week, Jabari Smith was around minus 500 to go first overall. Right now at Caesars Sports, Jabari is minus 120. Chet is minus 110, and Paulo is plus 600. If Chet goes number one to the Magic, I, I know that Jabari is number one on your board, but would you expect Oklahoma City to take Jabari, or do you feel like it's a toss-up at that point between him or Paulo or Jaden Ivey? Boys, I have, a, I have yeah. a little secret in the trust tree right now. Okay. Yeah? Yeah? I wouldn't assume that Jabari is number one on my board. Whoa! Oh. <laughs> he was though, right? Yeah, he is. And I, I genuinely look. We just recorded for an hour, right? Yeah. On, um, you know, the draft as a whole for the NBA show for the Slam and Jam podcast that'll come out on Saturday, right? Yeah. And I love all four of these guys. Like I went on for minutes about how much I love all four of these guys as prospects, and I do. Uh, this is not a slight at Jabari having him down, you know, at number one or number two or wherever I may have him go subscribe to the athletic, find out uh, whenever I release my draft guide on either Monday or Tuesday. But uh, I am such a big fan of Jabari Smith that I would take him at number two. I don't know that it's like Oklahoma city front office does such a good job of spreading this information, being incredibly opaque, uh, and I mean that in the most complimentary sense. Uh, you could tell me that they look to move down. You could tell me that they take any of the top four guys. I think that you know Sam Presti does as good of a job with this in the draft process as anyone, and it's an immense credit to them. I personally would take Jabari uh, if he fell to number two, because uh, I'm assuming that that would mean that Chet Holmgren would be going number one, but. You know, we'll, we'll see what Oklahoma City does. I think that Jabari, for many of the same reasons that I just expounded upon on why I like Chet Holmgren for the Thunder, I think he makes a lot of sense for Oklahoma City as well with Jabari. Yeah, per- personality-wise, I think it's been like w- well-documented, like the, the competitiveness and everything about Chet. I haven't heard a ton about Jabari Smith's personality. Can you Can you weigh in on that at all? Yeah, it's a, he's a kid that is, you know, Bruce Pearl has said it publicly, like he's very, he's very much like everyone's best friend on the Auburn basketball team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, like, 
you talk to coaches that played against him, that dude's a killer out there. Yeah. Like that dude is talking shit and like going for it. Uh, if you guys remember correctly, I can't, I think it was against Syracuse. Maybe he like hit a three and then screamed at Jim Beheim. Yeah. Uh, like for having someone like not big enough or not athletic enough guard him, like the audacity of Jim Beheim <laughs> to guard him with someone so disrespectful. Uh, or like he yelled that like you have to like cool him down or some shit like that. Yeah. Jabari's a killer. He He's like, it, it's the personality fit like for Oklahoma city too. That's why I think that it's probably going to be one of those two. Okay. Uh, depending on what Orlando does at number one. We've, we've I will about, say this too. You know what though? Like Jaden Ivy, like also, yeah, absolutely true. wildly competitive. Yeah, we, we've heard about uh, the defensive side of the ball with Jabari Smith. How like what are the limits of that? Like because he seems like he has a pretty good frame. He's still super young. Is there a scenario where long term he could play small ball five for the Thunder? It's not impossible. Like it, it it's. It's very theoretical right now. It's not impossible. Yeah. It depends on how his frame fills out. He has pretty big shoulders. Like he he has everything that you would think is going to allow him to get to. I think he's. What do I have him listed at? Let's let's pull up a draft guide. I think he's at like two twenty five right now, if I remember correctly. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, two twenty. Uh, he could get to two thirty five pretty easy, I think. And just be like one of those dudes that's like so strong and he can get to any of his spots almost whenever he wants. It, would I rather play him with a center? Probably. Uh, is there a world where if a team goes super small that he's the center? Possibly. Like if you're playing against the Miami heat and Bam Adebayo is their center, do I think Jabari Smith could play center? Sure. Like I, I think if they're playing the 76ers and Joel Embiid is their center. Do I want Jabari Smith banging down low with uh, Joel Embiid? No, I don't. Absolutely not. So it's it's situational. It's going to be very uh, very. What, what do you think about his like best court pairing, or, or or what you would look for in a front court partner? Because we heard a lot about the Auburn yeah. guards and like how bad of a fit they were for Jabari. But on the other side, like you got to play next to Walker Kessler which probably yeah. helped him a lot defensively. So who would you be looking at or what type of player would you be looking at to pair him with? Yeah, I like him a lot in a look. He's not Giannis defensively. Like he's, he's not even like Giannis is one of the best defensive players to ever play basketball. Um, but I like him in that like scrambling roaming role pretty much mm -hmm. uh, like the ability to play in a drop coverage scheme where he's the backline, you know, defender that's helping and tagging and then recovering out to the corner and then wreaking havoc kind of everywhere uh, on the court in the middle of the time. I, I would say that's my kind of ideal, uh, ideal way of thinking of Jabari Smith, but he can switch, you know, <sighs> I mean, like two through four, very comfortably. There are probably some quicker ones that'll catch him, and there are stronger fives that will catch him. Like, he's not Scotty Barnes defensively. Like, he's not, uh, you know, extremely switchable one through five. He's not OG Ananobi. He's not, and like, even Scotty had his troubles defensively dealing with ones this year, I thought. Um, but he's not like OG Ananobi defensively. He's just a good, I think, all around team defender who can switch onto multiple positions, if not, you know, probably not every position. 
so I think a lot of Thunder fans have watched a lot of Paolo Bancaro and have themselves wondering why not Paolo. Uh, can you answer that question for the Thunder? Yeah, look, if it was Paolo, I, I think it'd be fine. Like I, I look for. I, it's hard for me to answer that question because I have Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren as better prospects than Paulo. Okay. The reason that I have those two as better prospects than Paulo is that I think they have a better chance to be defensive difference makers while also being able to provide requisite offensive value. Uh, I don't see Paulo. And part of that question is I don't see any of these guys as number one options on a title team. Okay. So, if I saw any of these guys like that, the defensive fit questions for me would become drastically less important. Like if I saw Paulo Bancaro as being a 27.8 rebound, eight assists per game guy, uh, I would just take him at number one. Mm-hmm. I see him more as like a 22 point per game, you know, eight rebound, six assist guy that plays okay defense uh i think he's gonna get burned against guards on the perimeter ones and twos i think he does a pretty good job positionally i think that he knows where to rotate when he's engaged particularly Uh, i think the engagement for him at times this year on the defensive end like just wasn't always there in the way you want it to be uh it's it's hard because like i really it I don't want to make a case purely against Paulo because I love Paulo as a prospect. Like I think he's going to make an all-star team. And I think that if you're drafting purely on offensive upside, I think Paulo probably has, I think he probably has a more well-rounded offensive game as a creator than anyone else in the class. Uh, I think there's probably a world where Jabari Smith just becomes so good at getting to his spots and shooting over the top of defenses that he might just be the guy at the end of the day, but it, it, it's hard. Like I, I just, I value defensive versatility and flexibility at a real level. And I worry that Paulo is somewhere between the four and the five where you're always going to want to have a center with him out there, but he's also not quite mobile enough to like consistently deal with perimeter players. And that could become a real hassle for him. I wanted to ask you about the Shaden Sharp rumors. Jonathan Gavoni, he had like an ideal draft article about the Thunder and had Sharp falling to 12. And then in the little blurb said that Sharp's camp has OKC as like their top choice and they don't really care where they go in terms of like the spot. They're just, they're really focused on like his long-term potential. Do you think that's a realistic scenario that Shaden Sharp could fall to 12 based on what you've been hearing? I think that, Anything could happen with Shaden Sharp on draft night, like within relative reason, like him yeah. falling to number, you know, 22 would be a stunner or something. Right, like that, right, right. right? Um, but him falling to 12, I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be completely like baffled by it. I mean, this is a guy that is a real question mark to NBA teams on some level. And you just, 
I think the teams would like more information than what they're going to acquire on Jaden Sharp before the draft. And anytime that there is a real absence of information involving a lot of decision makers where a primary goal for them is to stay employed, <laughs> I think that there can be a substantial sense of risk aversion. Yeah. And that's not to say again, that like Shaden Sharp isn't, is going to fall to 12. I, I think that he's in play probably starting at four and five, to be honest. But I think it is a potential possibility for him to fall to 12. Uh, if only because, you know, there is always a sense of risk aversion from NBA teams. And, Teams don't have enough intel on Shaden and can't acquire enough before the draft, regardless of the homework that they do, uh, to know what they're getting uh, entirely. Mm -hmm. So there's, it, it feels it's not like, a fun answer, is it? Right, like kind of. There's kinda no, a shit but, the, answer, but, but that's <laughs> it. That's it with Shaden. Is like there's nothing like substantial out there right now that you can point to and be like, yeah, this is, this is why he's going to be this, or this is why he's going to be that. Like it's, there's just so much mystery with him and it makes, he, he honestly makes this draft really fun just be, and especially he's going to make draft night really fun because you just don't know where he's, yeah. where he's going to go that night. Uh, the Thunder have the 12th pick. There's a lot of really interesting prospects in that range. Um, uh, there's these wings like AJ Griffin, Johnny Davis is more of a guard, but could play on the wing. Ben Matherin, uh, who are your who's your favorite of that kind of group? If the Thunder were looking to draft like a wing or some kind of shooting on the wing, yeah, look, I would go Ben Matherin if he falls to twelve because I really like Ben. I think Ben's upside's a little bit higher than what has been kind of stated like i think everyone thinks of him as productive college guy right whereas he's still very young like he played yeah. this year uh if i remember correctly at 19 years old mm -hmm. and then turned 20 in the pre-draft process so like he is a he got a lot better throughout the season at actually being able to attack closeouts stop look like around the court and play with real processing speed and make passes. Uh, this is a guy that like is from Montreal and like, from what I gather, like didn't grow up like in the most ideal uh, environment and yeah. then didn't get like phenomenal coaching until he went down to the NBA Academy in Latin America uh, in Mexico city or the Latin American NBA Academy in Mexico city. So, I think that his pathway and his growth trajectory is probably a little bit different than others. Yeah. And it's worth acknowledging that. And we saw an enormous leap from him from year one to year two at Arizona. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw another fairly sizable, substantial leap uh, going from Arizona to the NBA. Now, uh, I love him as a shot maker. I think that he has a real sense of the moment. Like he's just totally unafraid uh, in every regard. Yep. Uh, you watch the game against uh, TCU in the NCAA tournament. Like he wanted the ball. He, he wanted that moment. 
uh, I think that he'd really fit as a floor spacer next to, uh, you know, guys like Josh Giddy next to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me to kind of implement that. And, you know, AJ Griffin as well is just such a philosophy based ideal. Yeah. Uh, where I would understand the way I've explained AJ Griffin is that. I think you should have AJ Griffin at number five or you should have him like 12th or 11th or something like that, Mm -hmm. because you either buy into him regaining some of the athleticism and uh, flexibility that he had at lower levels when he was 16 years old and played uh, at a really high level for team USA and at Archbishop Stepanak and places like that. Or you think that, you know, he's been hurt many times over now, uh, you know, junior year, senior year, preseason coming into his Duke season. And you worry about him regaining that. And there are significant defensive questions that will exist uh, just long term with him. So if you buy into him regaining that, athleticism you should buy into him as a real substantial shot maker that is different than anyone else outside of the top four yeah if you don't then you probably shouldn't take him in the top 10 you probably shouldn't take him at 12 to be honest and then you kind of have to make a informed decision after that i want to ask you about that idea because it does feel like that's part of the pitch with aj griffin like you have to buy into him regaining some of this athleticism yeah are there any recent examples you can think of of a prospect who had a similar trajectory where they were super explosive, lost some of their athleticism, then gained it back? Because it would be a lot easier to buy into it if I could like see an example of this happening. Uh, I believe Sam is frozen. Okay, Sam is frozen. You have frozen him with such a question, uh, Al. Oh, he's back. Oh, did did I die briefly? You did. You died. <laughs> you're back though. Yeah, you're you're making me look up context and like trying to remember <laughs> things. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of it. To be honest, it, it's uh, I'm I'm running through drafts here, like in the past, to try and come up with an example of this. I think it is very difficult to come up with an example of this. Um, <laughs> Which is fine. I, it's just like when people you know, make the pitch for him, they they say that as if like it's just gonna happen. Like yeah. you know, he'll he'll get further away from the injuries and it'll just come back. And and on the well, one hand, like his injuries don't seem that severe. Like it's not like he right. tore his ACL, had like crazy ligament damage. Yeah, they were like knee sprains and like random things. So I don't know. I'm so torn on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I, I'm in your boat. I would say I'm lower on him than others uh yeah i mean I, i'm really trying to dig deep here man <laughs> like i'm back in like 2015 now it, it's <laughs> it's not ideal like it's hard to find um most is of the time it, i feel like these guys probably get worse yeah. uh but the, what about, the problem OG? With what about og is, doesn't... is og an example of that to you at all yeah but og i think was always on a bit of a different plane and because he's just much bigger and had a bit more flexibility to begin with but og is maybe like the best one yeah to be honest um 
yeah, that's hard. That's a really tough one. Um, I, I don't have a great example of it though. And look, this is why I have AJ at like 11 or 12 or something yeah. like that. I, I'm not like, I am not quite as in as the internet seems to be, but I also understand if on a philosophical basis, you just buy into the shot making and the potential for shot creation, and that's what you value in the draft, I get it. Like I'm, I'm good with that at the end of the day. If you want to have him at five or six on your board, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Everybody- and then the other, the, the other part of it is that we don't have access to that I think has to be considered is I, I have no idea what his medical records look like. They, they could look good. They could not look good. I, I'm not saying one way or another, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely something NBA teams will want to take a look at. And that is something that I don't know. It's something that, um, you know, frankly, there might be NBA teams that don't know just because, um, you know, CAA might be withholding some info. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it, it's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody wants to but talk it's about something. It's something worth oh. considering in the public. I'm sorry. Again, sure. I cut you off. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> People want to talk about the I'm Thunder thrown, trading I'm thrown up. off because I told you guys I had to leave it uh, seven here. Yes. And I don't. It's fine. Let's just go for it. Oh, you don't. You know, okay. As okay. long as we need. Okay, cool. So everybody wants to talk about the Thunder trading for specifically like the seventh pick is widely known to be available because the Blazers want to move up and the Thunder can help them just acquire more picks and more assets so they can eventually get what they want. They can't directly give them what they want. So, but let's say on draft night that happens, the Thunder get the seventh pick. Who are the players that are worth acquiring around seven that you just would never have a chance of getting at 12? So I, I want to be clear. I would not do this if I was Oklahoma city. Okay. Um, I am not a big enough fan of the leap into that tier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would imagine that the guy that I have higher than anyone else is probably Jeremy Sohan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have Jeremy Sohan at five on my board. Yeah. Uh, I will give that one away. I love Jeremy Sohan and his defensive potential unconditionally. I think he's a legitimate potential all defense guy in the NBA. Uh, He is switchable one through five. You go back and you watch the tape against North Carolina. He was guarding Armando Baycott and he was guarding Caleb Love and RJ Davis, like, you know, one possession after another. Right. Uh, And he proved this all year. He is phenomenal on that end. Offensively. I think he has real tools. Uh, he can handle the ball in space at a high level, despite being, you know, a six foot nine guy with long arms and uh, real athletic fluidity. Like he is uh, a, I know some people have pointed to the 37% mark as a catch and shoot guy. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything broken with the shot. I don't think he's a movement shooter by any stretch of the imagination. Like he's not going to be running off screens and anything, but you know, it, if he can continue to improve that mark as a catch and shoot player in the half court, he has substantial potential as an uh, advantage creator on the second side rotation where if someone closes out to him hard, I mean, he's going to be able to collapse the defense in an instant because of how quickly uh, he is able to put pressure on the paint with how long his strides are and how uh, quick he's able to make that happen. So look, I think he has really high upside uh, at the end of the day and also has like a relatively high floor. Like I think that the floor is, you know, somewhat similar to what Herb Jones was this year for new Orleans. And I think that 
the ceiling is like extremely, extremely high if the offensive game comes together. Yeah, I've been pitching yeah, think- the Chet Holmgren's uh, Jeremy Sohan front court for a while here on this podcast. Oh my god! Oh, I'm I, I'm moving to Oklahoma City. I'm I leaving. I'm leaving I wanted to. I've been wanting it to happen so bad. So, there are Thunder fans that just have such bad Andre Robertson PTSD that they just want nothing to do with like great defenders who don't have a great offensive game. And I'm just like, I don't know. He's just awesome, and I love his story. Yeah, I just I, love I, everything <laughs> about him. The last podcast I did with Fred Katz. Yeah, uh, he he christened these guys the uh, Josh Eustis and Andre Robertson Hall of Famers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, and that's what people are worried about. And I think one thing you could help us with in like talking us off that ledge. It, do you feel like Jeremy Sohan is a willing shooter? Because that's been a problem with Thunder players in the past. They just aren't willing to take the shot. Yeah, I think he will be. Look, he's he takes them now he's more of like a jab step and try and shoot now uh as opposed to like hey i'm just gonna catch it and fire i think that he's smart enough as a processor and smart enough like as a basketball player to where he'll realize that he has to take those um and and i think he'll improve to where he can uh if he doesn't shoot it though then you obviously don't want him shooting it but i I don't look there there's real offensive downside with Sohan, but I also think that the offensive upside, given his ability to handle, given his ability to pass, um, if the shooting comes together, I mean, his, his ceiling on the way that he's going to impact winning basketball is immensely high. Like, I, I often try and think about that. Like, if, say, a player is able to improve their worst skill and get it to a manageable level, what is their level as a prospect, right? Uh, someone like Dyson Daniels, he improves as a shooter. I think he is an absolutely outstanding, phenomenal connective tissue piece that will immediately help you win games. Uh, someone, I'm trying to think of like an exa- another example, like someone like, uh, you know, if, if someone like Mark Williams can shoot it though, like if he ever developed an 18 footer, well, he still has some defensive, you know, mobility concerns. So he'd still probably be like in a similar boat, I think Mm -hmm. to where he is now, he'd be a little bit higher because he'd be able to stay on the court offensively in a different way than what he is now. Um, But like you, you improve his worst skill. It doesn't drastically change things. If you improve Jeremy Sohan shooting to where it's passable, I think he's an all-star. Yeah. Like, I think he is that good at everything else that he brings to the table. And if he doesn't, which is Thunder fans, that's where we're <laughs> assuming this is headed. What is he? Like if he if he turns out to be a guy that just like won't shoot because we've lived through this over and over again. Yeah, like like, like four four man version of Herb Jones is kind of what I'm envisioning. Yeah. Okay. Which is like not a look, you don't want to take that guy at number seven. <laughs> Right. Maybe. Um, but I just did a redraft of the 2021 NBA draft like a month or two ago. And I have real substantial concerns about Herb Jones's offense, uh, even moving forward, given what we saw this year. I still yeah. took Herb Jones in a draft that is much better than this one, 12th. So, yeah, 11th, maybe. So, yeah, like I, I would, 
I I would take him at 12 if he's there, and I would not even think twice. Al, is there anybody else in that range you want to talk about, um, or do you want to move on to the the second-round pick? Uh, Well, just really quick. So let's say this scenario where Chet goes number one, we take Jabari. I know a lot of Thunder fans are interested in the center prospects. Yeah. If if they were both there, Mark Williams and Jalen Dern at 12, do you see one of them as a better fit with Jabari as a front court pairing? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually haven't thought – this is one that I have not thought about until this moment now, Um, particularly like a Jabari – Oklahoma City fit with one of these two. Huh. I've thought about a lot of iterations of these things and I've not thought about this one until now. Um, huh. So I will say that I like the idea of Josh Giddy throwing lobs to Jalen Duran a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Duran, I think, is the best rim runner in this class. He is the best lob catcher. He he is like a genuinely elite, like DeAndre Jordan level lob catcher. Hmm. Uh, he, he is, he like, there are moments where he is full speed sprinting either, you know, downhill in a pick and roll play or out in transition where someone throws one that's off target. He will go up with one hand it full speed behind his head, catch it and dunk it all in one motion. Like he is an elite see ball, get ball, grab, finish, dunk, like all in one fell swoop prospect. And that has real appeal to me with them. Yeah. I think that my answer would be Jalen Duran. I, I, but again, though, like what did we just talk about at the start of this podcast? We talked about how, what Oklahoma City wants to do is they want to play five out. Like they want to play uh, with as much, uh, you know, offensive versatility and guys who can grab and go and guys who can really speed up the offense as possible. And neither of these guys do that. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a buyer in Jalen Duran's skill game in the way some other pro- uh, evaluators seem to be. Um yeah, no, I uh, I don't know that either of these guys make sense for the style of basketball that Oklahoma City seems to have wanted to build over the course of the last couple of years, at the very least. Hmm. Yeah, it, this is why, like, to me, Chet is seems like the guy that they would want because he's just multi-skilled, multi-tooled, and then if you get him, then, like, he's your center, and then you just have multi-skilled, multi-tool players all around him. That's why I just don't know that I buy into taking one of those guys that high in the draft. And then also, if you wanted a guy that could just be a rim runner, they're available all the time. And the Thunder have the assets to go get them. And so I just don't like the idea of going and getting one of these guys at 12 when somebody like Johnny Davis or if Sohan's there or anybody else, Malachi Branham is there. I just like the idea of getting somebody that you couldn't get in Oklahoma City or that would be really difficult to get here uh, because the Thunder have signed a guy like Nerlens Noel has willingly come to Oklahoma City. And it's to me, it's just easier to get big guys. And just don't use your valuable draft picks on guys that you could potentially get 
in free agency or via trade more easily. That's kind of my philosophy. I want to ask I agree you about, with you for what it's worth. Uh, that's what I would. That's what I would do. I want to ask you about one more guy in the twelve range, which is uh, Usman Jang, because I, I kind of get the pitch for him, but I'm wondering if OKC is the best place for him to be fully actualized. Because when I see people talk about him, it's always about the second half of the season where it seemed like he started to show a lot of flashes as a primary creator for them in Oklahoma City. Would he like? What's his off-ball game like? It's fine. Uh, it's very predicated on him knocking down shots. And up until the second half of this season, he hasn't really consistently done that. Um, like at any point of his career, even before he got to Australia, uh, like even when he was playing with Victor Wembenyama um, in France, like the, he was always more of like a point forward point guard type as opposed to like... Um, guy who knocks down shots so i think the shots improved i think he has a shot to be like a valuable catch and shoot guy the thing that worries me is like i think he might be getting overrated a little bit as an athlete yeah he is not explosive at all um i i, I have a lower grade on him i think i have him like 16 or 17 uh something like that he would not really be in consideration for me with this thunder pick but there are fans of him i expect him to go in this range like eight you know, seven, eight, 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would, he's, I get it. I think he processes the game really well. I think he's a high level passer, which I'm sure appeals to Oklahoma city because they have valued these guys in the past, yeah. but um, yeah, not quite athletic enough for me. Yeah. He, he gets labeled as like raw or like not ready. And like a lot of those guys are just like really athletic at, you know, it's, it seems like, yeah. and so maybe he's more like a Cadillac. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you watch him, like he's, it's very smooth. Like he's and the other thing is like, he never gets all the way to the rim. Like he's always trying to like stop and pop for that little floater. Um, he doesn't really pressure the rim in the way that I would want someone to pressure the rim next to Shay and Josh, even though like Shay can do it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just have to ask you a personal question. Your last, not a real personal question, but in your last top 100 that's on the athletic, you have EJ Liddell in like the second round range. Do you still have yeah. him in that range? I think I have him at like 26 or oh, okay. something like that. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just love him. I think it'd be great. I think he's going to be great. Uh, and I, the Thunder don't really have a pick to get EJ, but I can just see him playing in the league next year. I think he's going to be great. Yeah, I can. I can too. Uh, I, I don't buy the shot as much as some people do. Okay. I, I know that he shot 37% from three this year, but mm-hmm. it's a very flat shot yeah, that is. worries me as he moves back to NBA distance. Mm-hmm. I actually think that he shot, if I remember correctly, I mean, I can pull this number up. I'm sure I wrote about it in the draft guide, but like, I think he shot a little bit better from NBA distance than what I would have thought the mechanics would have allowed mm-hmm. when he took those shots this year. Yeah. But um, I would have to look that up. Uh, yeah, I don't love the shot. Uh, I think it's a very flat trajectory, and I think that you know he's working with great trainers uh, out in Santa Barbara, and I think that they have a chance to make it work. But um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm, look, I went to Ohio State. Like, it is kind of a personal question to me. Like, I want these guys. <laughs> I forgot about like, that. Yeah, yeah. Like. I, I would love nothing more than to have EJ Liddell like fourth on my board, but yeah. I, just can't, I can't quite get there. <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, pick 34. Thunder traded pick 30 this week. 
at 34, we talked about movement shooting earlier with Matherin. Is there anyone in that early second round range who could provide some movement shooting? Because that's definitely something that Thunder fans want. Yeah, you know, the guy that strikes me. So Max Christie, you know, could fall to 34. Okay. I think that's not impossible. Um, uh, in fact, like very well could be on the board. That's one that makes sense. Uh, Caleb Houston's a pretty good movement shooter. Uh, I don't really have that high of a grade on Houston. I don't love really anything else that he does on the court, but he can shoot off of movement for sure. Um, the guy that I like a little bit more than most, I think is Gabriel Presida out of Italy. Mm, yeah. Uh, Real live athlete at six foot eight, really moves well. Uh, great shooter off movement, not just a good shooter, but like a phenomenal high level shooter off of movement. Um, defends pretty well as well. Like, I, I have him at 32, and I worry that I didn't go high enough. And I feel like I'm probably higher on him than most at 32. Hmm. Yeah. And the Thunder, I've obviously seen him because they travel everywhere. I just, I don't know that they've seen him for a fact. I just, know the thunder and the way that they work and just assume that they have seen him multiple times and don't shy away from taking international prospects. In fact, like they lean toward taking international prospects. So I think that should be somebody that thunder fans consider. uh, Yeah. I mean, they took Vic Krejci when Vic was not a top 100 player on my board. I remember scouring the internet for Vic Krejci information when they took him that high. I, I was like, it, it was funny because so the way that the draft works at the athletic is I send off a bunch of blurbs to our editors ahead of time for yeah. draft coverage while yep. I'm live doing a live show. Yep. And like they fucking draft V Krejci <laughs> and I'm just like, I've seen like I've watched him. I've seen him. I think yeah. he was like 115 for me or something. Um I have nothing prepared on him because I thought there was he was like coming and he was coming off of a knee surgery, too, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes. Like he missed the whole his whole first season or what would have been his first season. He was rehabbing here in OKC like they brought him onto the blue so they could rehab him here. And it was. Yeah. I've learned not to doubt that Sam Presti knows what he's doing because he absolutely 100 percent is categorically unequivocally smarter than i am but that was a uh yeah that was that was one that took me by surprise yeah uh alex is not just sitting there chewing his fingernails his computer shut down because we've been podcasting for (laughs) roughly two and a half hours here um so if you want more draft coverage listen to saturday slam and jam this saturday on the athletic nba show feed uh we're going to talk to Sam a lot there. So, uh, Sam, thanks so much for your time today here on Down to Dunk. I know that our listeners appreciate it. <laughs> and um, if, you have, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do that so you can watch Alex look like he's endlessly chewing his fingernails at the end of the show. Um, and you can watch the show. You know, you can see see what we look like if you're just listening to the pod. So um, that's kind of cool. So, uh, Sam, thanks so much. Look for Sam's draft guide. Uh, coming up early next week. It is worth the subscription to The Athletic alone. So if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash down to dunk and get your subscription for $1 a month for six months. Um, Alex is back here for our exit. Woo, Um, here we go! (laughs) uh, Sam, thanks so much, man. 
Yeah, of course. Go subscribe to the podcast. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel for the podcast. Penny and I are releasing a bunch of videos. Yes, game theory. As always, boys. Yes. I'm ecstatic to always talk to you guys. I have the most fun uh, doing the show. Uh, wait until you guys see the results of the terrific trivia game that we played oh earlier today. <laughs> Alex set up some great questions, and I'm, uh, you know, finally, uh, you know, very, very pleased to have him come on and, uh, you know, ha- have a have some fun here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Sam. Of course. beautiful <sighs> thanks Sam. all right boys that was great yeah it was awesome it was so fun i wish i had time to chat more 